This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hard-hitting questions coming out of yesterday. You know, I think one of them was uh, whether or not the horns down is going to be 15-yard penalty uh, in the SEC in the future. That it was very important to finish uh, and to collect the trophy and to win 10 games and win a game on New Year's Day and all those things. And uh, believe me, we had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. I said in my press conference back in December that I didn't feel like there was anything at South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I am even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months. So there's a report in the Houston Chronicle that, that Texas and Oklahoma are inquiring about joining the SEC. <laughs> I bet they would. <laughs> War Eagle. Feels good to say that. All right. <clears throat> I didn't even remember that 12 years ago, but now that you say that, because I believe there was something about someone didn't have Tebow first team all SEC. And as usual, I was accused of that. So <laughs> I brought my ballot to, to show everyone, to show Urban. Um, so. Hey buddy, this beer's for you, Mike and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brent. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got a special NFL Draft Round 1 podcast for you. But it's not just a draft. No, the interviews I've been promising... Got them both on the line. So this is going to be a loaded show. We got Adam Sparks from the Knoxville News Sentinel. Stop by to talk some Tennessee football. We got my buddy Michael Katz from the Mississippi Daily Journal. Going to talk some Ole Miss football after the Rebels wrapped up spring last weekend. And of course, all these SEC first round draft picks. And of course, the SEC dominated first round I mean, the headlines, you could write them before the event even begins. 12 of the 32 first-round draft picks come from the SEC, 38% of the picks. For the fifth time in the last six drafts, 10 or more players were selected in the first round. Again, another record. And how about this? Georgia Bulldogs cleaning up. Defense had five players selected, as if that wasn't incredible enough. That's more than the entire ACC and Pac-12 had drafted on Thursday night and (laughs) five more than the entire Big 12. And again, this is just Georgia beating out the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12. That is just how ridiculously loaded Kirby Smart's Bulldog team was going into the season. But hey, I'm about to break down each SEC pick in the NFL draft. But before I do that, I found this little clip from the Coach's Journal. I just thought this was outstanding given the NFL draft and 
all the excitement surrounding the event. But really, this is just the beginning of the journey for a lot of these players. And are they going to put in the time? Are they going to put in the effort? Or are they going to waste their time, invest, or spend? What do you do with your time? Do you invest it? Do you spend it? From the the greatest college coach of all time, I just thought a little two-minute clip here. I just thought this was outstanding and uh, just kind of a perfect segue getting into these draft picks. We have a lot of talented guys here. They not all become first-round draft picks, mm-hmm. even though some of them have the ability to be. Um, so the guys that become that have a great sort of sense of purpose, sense of pride and performance, and they're willing to invest uh, in what they want to do in terms of their work ethic. I mean, I always tell you, you're going to reap what you sow. You've probably heard that a thousand times. Um, so you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And there's always the question that you should ask, am I investing my time or am I spending it? Hmm. Are you investing your time in what you want to accomplish or are you just spending it doing something that's really, really insignificant? Like uh, I know these guys play Call of Duty and all this stuff and they spend hours doing this. And I'm saying if you're doing that, just tell me, are you investing your time in really what you want to accomplish? Are you just spending it? You're just wasting your time. That not, not that we all shouldn't have something that we sure. enjoy and we can't escape in, but there has to be limits and boundaries. Um, and then are you going to have the perseverance to be able to sustain this even when things don't go the way that you'd like for them to? Do you have the discipline to execute it every day? And this is where people struggle the most. There's a lot of people that know what they want to do. They have a sense of purpose. Right, they even know what they have to do to do it, but they can't execute it on a consistent basis. We make choices and decisions every day that basically come down to two questions. Here's something I know I'm supposed to do that I really don't want to do. Can you make yourself do it? And over here, there's something you know you're not supposed to do, but you want to do it. Can you keep yourself from it? Mm. So we make hundreds of decisions, and it starts as soon as we get up in the morning, you know, and. What I always try to tell our players is, this is a bridge that you have to cross if you're going to be successful. And it's feeling versus choice. You're going to choose to do the things you need to do to accomplish the goals that you have, or are you going to do what you feel like doing? All right, so that's the challenge. Hey, and take it from someone who knows. I spent way too much time playing Call of Duty in college. It's probably why I have a, a podcast instead of a real job these days. But... Now that's the challenge for all these players going on to the NFL from the college ranks. And, of course, the draft started with number one overall pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevon Walker, Georgia, defense alignment linebacker, pass rusher extraordinaire. This is just what a meteoric rise there. I mean, I I was reading an article in The Athletic. Walker nearly came back to school for Georgia, but they basically told him, hey, your stock's too high right now. You just go. It'll be worth it. And up until about a week ago, I don't think anybody thought Walker was going to be a first, the first overall pick. I mean, they were talking top five, top ten for sure. But a guy that didn't really even start till last season, going number one overall, huge upside for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But uh, just an interesting pick and just another feather in Georgia's cap. And I, I saw this. I wish I. Made this joke, but I didn't. I, I'm stealing it. I saw it from somewhere. Uh, I'd credit them if I if I could remember where I saw it. But 
Of course, the Michigan lineman Aiden Hutchinson, I think is his name, he was pegged to be the top overall pick for much of the draft process. And someone said, them Georgia Bulldogs beat Michigan once again. So I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, number three overall. How, this was a surprise, too. The Houston Texans took Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU, who he really hadn't even played since 2019 in a full season capacity and kind of, you know, I think he kind of shut it down basically for two years, but he's so talented. Number three overall, you can't really even say that's a complete reach or anything. He's just that good from the day he stepped on the field, was part of an instrumental part in LSU winning that national championship back in 2019. So, you know, a little bit of a gamble, I guess, Houston. You're hoping you're getting that player and not uh, a player that was injured the last couple of years. But if he's healthy, he could be the best player coming out of this draft. Number seven overall, the New York Giants getting some protection. They may not have a quarterback up there, but they got a couple SEC linemen because they got Evan Neal at uh, offensive tackle a year after taking Andrew Thomas out of Georgia on the offensive line. So the Giants shoring up that offensive line still need themselves a quarterback, but they're getting a hell of a one in Evan Neal. We all know what a physical specimen that guy is. And speaking of the offensive line, that's where the Seattle Seahawks went with number nine overall, Charles Cross out of the state, out of Mississippi State. What a uh, tremendous rise for Cross, who was a five-star recruit. And, you know, it took him a little while to get going. Mike Leach and company, I know they challenged him early in uh, their tenure there at Mississippi State, and Charles Cross responded. The, that offense simply was not going to work without a rock at left tackle like they had in Charles Cross. And he's a huge reason why Mississippi State's defense, we started to see it hit another gear last fall. Now he's off to the Seattle Seahawks. Now, this was an interesting one. Number 12 overall, Detroit Lions, they traded up to get Jamison Williams because a run of receivers was starting. Jamison Williams, Mel Kuyper, said in the draft here, hey, Alabama would have beat Georgia in the national championship if Jamison Williams didn't get hurt. A little, uh, Some people consider that a hot take. Some people don't, but he's just fanning the flames down here in SEC country. But either way, Detroit Lions traded up. Did not want to get Jamison Williams to uh, fall any further because he probably wasn't going to. He was going to go right in this range. And, hell, he probably wanted, would have been a top five pick had he not torn his ACL in that national championship game. So Detroit Lions may have got, uh, again, I keep saying it, but it could be true. Jamison Williams could prove to be uh, one of the best, if not the best player in the draft. Again, the ACL certainly played a part of him falling to number 12. Number 13, the big man, Philadelphia Eagles select Jordan Davis out of Georgia, the monster there, Shane's favorite player last season. Uh, again, this was just the beginning of the run of the Georgia Bulldogs, but he's going to be up there now with Jalen Hurts, Devonta Smith, a lot of Alabama-Georgia flavor on the Philadelphia Eagles. Number 15 overall, staying close, the Houston Texans select Kenyon Green, at a Texas A&M, what a hell of a player he was for the Aggies. Started from day one, was been one of the best linemen in school history his three years there. He is going to be sorely missed by the Aggies because he's going over number 15 overall to the Houston Texans, staying close to home. Hell of a pickup there for the Houston Texans. Now, here's where things got interesting. A.J. Brown 
Ole Miss alum, of course, tearing it up in the NFL, traded by the Tennessee Titans to the Eagles, going up there with uh, Jordan Davis and company. But the Tennessee Titans turned around with the number 18 pick they acquired and got Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. A lot of people compare Traylon Burks to A.J. Brown. I see more Debo Samuel in him, and I think, you know, A.J. Brown also got a $100 million contract. Uh, that's why this trade was made, because you get Traylon Burks at a discount, and I don't expect there's going to be any drop-off. In fact, Traylon Burks, hell, he may even be a better player at the end of the day. So I love that pick for the Tennessee Titans. I was kind of pissed off when it happened, to be at, to be honest with you. I was hoping he was going to fall to Green Bay. But Green Bay got a couple picks later here. Number 22, Quay Walker, Georgia linebacker. And i got to be honest, this, this stunned me. I thought uh, if you tell me Georgia was going to take a Georgia linebacker, I would have thought N'Kobe Dean for sure. But no, Quay Walker was uh, the Georgia linebacker selected by the Green Bay Packers. Pack, <laughs> by the Green Bay Packers, more prototypical size for the NFL, and N'Kobe Dean still searching for a home entering round two. I, you got to imagine he's going to be gobbled up pretty early in round two of the NFL draft. Number twenty-three overall, next pick, Buffalo Bills select. Kair Elam out of Florida, their outstanding corner, going off to play with Josh Allen and the emerging Buffalo Bills. He may have a shot at a Super Bowl ring. Who knows the way the Bills were playing at the end of last season. That one's for you, Keith. Number 28 overall, Green Bay again, going back to that Georgia well select. Devontae Wyatt, who, you know, there's been some comparisons. The next Warren Sapp, hell, I'd take that all day and twice on Sunday there. Devontae Wyatt. And how about this, Green Bay? Of course, they also picked Quay Walker in this draft. And last draft, first-round pick, Eric Stokes. So the last three first-round picks for the Green Bay Packers have been Georgia Bulldog defenders. They love them. The G up there in Green Bay, apparently. And then last but not least, to cap this thing off, number 32, last pick in the first round, Lewis Seen, Minnesota Vikings, Georgia's outstanding safety. That capped off the fifth First-round selection for the Georgia Bulldogs. And, again, we see why Georgia won the national championship, why this is a generational defense. There are still studs left on the board. N'Kobe Dean, I'm looking at you, among others. There's going to be several more Bulldogs selected in this thing. This has just been the year of the dog, <laughs> indeed, with you know, the Braves winning, Stafford won. Of course, Georgia snapped the streak. Now they're getting all these players picked in the NFL draft, and it's going to continue all weekend long. Now, moving on from the NFL draft coverage, as promised, two guests. I thought I was going to have them on Thursday show. Coming to you on Friday, though, these two interviews are not going to disappoint. Let's uh, start things with Adam Sparks from the Knoxville News Sentinel. First time. Having Adam on the show, I think you guys are really going to like this back and forth. Uh, this was a terrific interview. Really appreciate Adam for giving me some time. So let's kick it over. Once again, Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel. All right, we're pleased to be joined for the first time by Mr. Adam Sparks, who works, of course, for the Knoxville News Sentinel, covering the Tennessee Vols. You can give Adam a follow at Adam Sparks and check out his work on the Volunteer State Podcast. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's good to be on. And I know even before, you know, I've been following you since you covered Vanderbilt. So you know this league 
as well as anybody. But uh, I want to ask you about Tennessee because this it's almost been like a meteoric rise here under Josh Heupel. I mean, it there were analysts saying, you know, Tennessee is not going to go to a bowl game for four or five years after everything that happened last offseason. And, and they weren't off base by saying that. So I just want to start with that, Adam. How surprised are you that Tennessee has turned the corner under Josh Heupel? And uh, that's before we even get to recruiting, which I, I was going to ask you here in a minute. Well, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that the, the team has an identity. Um, you know, I, I mean, now this could go south a little bit if the NCAA hits them hard over the uh, re- alleged recruiting violations under Jeremy Pruitt. I, I tend to think that's probably not going to hit them hard enough to change the program a lot. But in what we can judge about Josh Heupel so far, there's an identity to the team. I think they did lose that in the Pruitt era. They really lost that since even maybe a couple of years in the middle of the Butch Jones era where you didn't know what Tennessee was good at. Um, you know, when Jeremy Pruitt came in, it was supposed to be, this was going to be more of maybe like a Phil Fulmer lot where it was going to be, you know, defense and winning the line of scrimmage and running the ball in a physical style, uh, sort of, sort of Alabama 10 years ago. And that's what Jeremy Pruitt was supposed to bring in. And that, that fizzled, that never happened. So any game that you went into, you said, what's Tennessee good at? What is Tennessee, um, uh, what concerns the opponent about Tennessee? And it wasn't really one thing. The difference in that and Josh Hopple is that every opponent, including Alabama and Georgia, um, says that we're going to have to slow down this offense. This offense is going to be explosive. It's going to be fast. They're going to score in, you know, like 90 seconds. They're going to come out of the gates fast. They had the lead against Alabama and Georgia both in the first quarter. I know a small thing, but you're talking about forward steps. You want to be good at something. And this this team was as good as, as just about any team in the country in terms of scoring and scoring fast and just being an up-tempo offense and a fun offense to watch. And I think that's got to be step one in, in getting the program back where it needs to be. You've just got to have an identity. And they have that. that, that they, they have you know weaknesses as well that has a lot to do with how that offense scores. But they are good at something. And I think that's something that the Tennessee fans just needed to hang their hat on. Now, you reference uh, the, the NCAA investigation. Do you have any uh, insight into that? Because it just seems like it doesn't matter who I ask, you know, you get – a little bit of info here, a little bit of info there, but it just it just seems like it's impossible to to kind of peg what the NCAA is is thinking and, and what they'll actually do. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you know, we we heard from a couple of months ago that this is going to be over soon. I, I never bought that for a second. You can't predict what the NCAA is going to do. Uh, you certainly don't expect them to be fast at anything um and i think there's already this layer of skepticism over what's been happening with ncaa for years um that they're unpredictable but then you add another layer on top of that of you know of nil coming in um you know with uh, with the ncaa's powers uh, weakening over the past few years over, uh, you know, a new NCAA constitution that is going to possibly dictate how, how um, Tennessee's infractions are seen. If they are grandfathered in, their, their infractions were before the new constitution, but they'll be judged under the new constitution. So um, all that added up, it's just, I, I think we're almost, 
going to have some level of surprise no matter what it is because we don't really know what what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we get it. Maybe we get some kind of an answer before this year is over. But but I'm not I'm not holding my breath. Now, one of the knocks on uh, Josh Heupel before he got to Tennessee was that, uh, you know, maybe not uh, the elite recruiter that Tennessee needs him to be to for the Vols to take that next step up. But, man, I'll tell you what, if uh, if Butch Jones and Derek Dooley and Jeremy Pruitt can recruit to Tennessee, I'd, I didn't have much doubt that uh, Josh Heupel could. And, of course, uh, the NIL helps uh, tremendously. But are you surprised, you know, how hot of a commodity Tennessee seems to be on the recruiting trail at the moment? Well, I mean, yeah, you're right that he didn't have a he didn't have a phenomenal track record in recruiting. We really didn't have that much of a track record of him in 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 this position because, you know, when he was at UCF, they got a lot of three star players. That's what you're supposed to get at UCF. It's a mid major school. Even even when they were undefeated, they're still mid major school. Um, you know, when he, before that, he was an offensive coordinator at Missouri. Well, Missouri is also near the bottom of the SEC, so it's hard to judge that. Um, Oklahoma, uh, you know, he, he was recruiting as an offensive coordinator. He brought in some four-star quarterbacks, but never had a five-star. Um, this is the first time he's been a head coach at a power five program. So, you know, we kind of judge him going forward. And a lot of this comes down to his staff. A lot of this comes down to, as you mentioned, um, NIL, because there's a, you know, there's a lot of NIL money being thrown around a lot of rumors of, of, you know, uh, big NIL deals that guys are signing. I think we're going to have to judge everybody's recruiting track record at this point going forward a little differently than we have in the past. But it, it is what it is, and um, what it is right now is is a pretty good landscape for Tennessee recruiting. I mean, as we speak, they're, uh, you know, they were, what, top 15, top 17, something like that, in, the, in this past class that's already signed, the 2022 class. Um, that's pretty good. That, that's not going to cut it in the future for Tennessee, but considering the fact that they had all the NCAA stuff, you thought that would hurt them. The fact that Josh Hopple's crew got in late because the firing of Jeremy Pruitt was late. Um, the fact that it was during COVID, so they're coming into a program having to recruit a new region and a new state, yet they couldn't have anybody on campus for a number of months. Uh, a lot of the in-state recruits were already committed before Josh Hopple even met them in person. Considering all that, the, to get a top 15 or even top 20 class is, is, is pretty good, a pretty good start. But this, this class right now that they're getting commitments for, the 2023 class, um, Nico Iamaliava, uh, oh, the five-star quarterback. I don't even attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do it once, then I go Nico after that. Uh, uh, five-star quarterback, um, you know, w- if he does sign, he'll be the first five-star quarterback that they that Tennessee has signed in 20 years. Um, so they can have him, but they've also already picked up a number of four-star guys. And it's very, very early, but right now their class is in the top ten. And so if they can hold that together and add some numbers on the end of the class, then then you're talking about, you know, sort of a, a – a, a different level of Tennessee football. They, they, they've shown a little bit on the field. Like I said, they have an identity. If they can then recruit some talent on top of that, it's, it's not ridiculous to say that maybe they can make a little bit of a move back into the upper echelon of the SEC. Now for the Knoxville News Sentinel, you wrote uh, entering spring, 10 Tennessee football players with everything to gain. 
Uh, I'm not going to ask you about each one of these players, but I wanted to ask you about the uh, the transfer from Florida, Gerald Mincy, the the offensive lineman uh, exiting spring. Does do you have any idea if Tennessee expects him to uh, to see the field potentially as a as a starter? As a starter, maybe. I mean, they would love for one of their guys to take the last spot on the offensive line. T- Tennessee returns uh, four starters in the offensive line. So you, you'd say, well, that's, that's no problem. It's fine. You just got to fill one more spot. But that's a pretty big spot. It's either, it's one of the two tackles. Um, uh, they could move around their, their returning tackle to the left or the right side. But in the Music City Bowl, they played without Cade Mays, who was the right tackle at the time. And the, his replacements were not up to snuff, uh, a couple of different guys. And and those two guys are competing for the spot now. They brought in Gerald Mincy from Florida, the transfer portal, as uh, a possible replacement there. Mincy played some at Florida, but he was a reserve guy. He was, you know, in the field goal, PAT kick team. Um, so, you know, he... I guess you can look at him as he, he, he wasn't the best option in the portal, but he was an option in the portal. I, I think if, if, if they're where they want to be on the offensive line and that tackle, Gerald Mincy is a swing guy, a backup at, at either tackle spot. Um, if he can improve in the offseason uh, and have a good fall camp, then that may be your best option. But they've got three guys competing to fill that last spot. And I, I think they were okay with either of any of the three coming out of spring, but they were not wowed by any of them. So if they could get a tackle in the portal, that would certainly fix a lot of the problems. Mincy maybe would have the better chance just because they've seen him the least, and so maybe he has the, has the higher ceiling. Mm-hmm. And three other guys you hit on, they all play the same position. Uh, Jimmy Holiday, Ramel Keaton, Jimmy Calloway. If you had to predict which one of these guys has the best season next year, which would that be? And and I think it was you. Uh, excuse me if I'm wrong, but I think Jimmy Callaway had what uh, I think you described the greatest play no one will ever see in the uh, the Tennessee scrimmage here. Yeah, it was like a 97 yard <laughs> catch and run, <laughs> uh, and he can do that. I mean, he played only like three or four games last year. Uh, the I think it was the pit game that he got plugged in. Uh, and it, really the most significant time that he played, they threw him like a, uh, just, just a little hitch, just basically almost a lateral, uh, line of scrimmage, a little, uh, slip screen. And he, he caught it and took off, went about 50 yards for a touchdown. You thought, wow, why isn't this guy playing more? Uh, Jimmy Callaway is a, a really good talent, um, really good in open field, can create a lot, uh, a, they're they want to see more consistency out of him they want to see um a little more knowledge of the system out of him um you know i mean here's the thing is that tennessee uh you you think of an up-tempo team you're going to be plugging in a whole lot of different guys because you're going to be going so fast you've got to you've got to have a pretty deep depth chart to go that fast at wide receiver it's actually the opposite they go so fast that they don't sub so while you may think, well, they're going to play, you know, six to eight wide receivers, Josh Hopple this past year and Josh Hopple historically at the other offenses, especially at UCF, he, he usually will only use three receivers. You see three receivers that all produce, and it's a steep drop-off at the fourth receiver. So there's a there's a cutoff at, 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 at number three. 
and uh, Cedric Tillman is back. He's a thousand yard receiver. Jalen Hyatt had a had a really good spring, and I think he's going to be their guy in the slot. So that's two. So so really, you have three guys, which I which you mentioned, are fighting over that third spot. There may be some other options, but one of those three guys is going to be above the cutoff, and the other two guys are going to be below the cutoff. And Callaway has a talent. I, I, I don't think they're going to go for the inconsistent, talented guy. That They didn't do that last year with a couple of guys, including him. And so I think he's probably below that line. Um, also, he he's probably would probably be in the slot, which is where Hyatt would be. So that really leaves the other two, Holiday and Ramel Keaton. Uh, Ramel Keaton is kind of a known quantity. Um, he served as a good backup last year. Um, I don't, I don't think he's going to get a whole lot better, but he's, he's a stable, solid, consistent guy. Uh, th- that's why I tend to think m- maybe Jimmy holiday would be, um, he would have the more upside and he also had a pretty good spring. So I would say him or Keaton probably, but if I was a betting man, I would say maybe by the end of the year, we say Jimmy holiday is the guy that worked out the best. Now I know you uh, covered Josh Heupel on, on his many stops there in the big orange caravan, which, I assume all Tennessee fans know what that is. If if not, it's just uh, you know meetings with uh, fans across the state at these different functions. What's the uh, your main takeaway from all of Heupel uh, stops here on the Big Orange Caravan? His personality is coming out a whole lot more. Um, I mean, we saw from his from his first day um, on campus that he was in his opening press conference um, very affable, likable, sort of a sort of an all shucks type guy, but in a, I don't know if you'd call him Midwestern, uh, but uh, Midwestern, uh, sort of, he seems Southern without being Southern, if that makes sense. He he blends in pretty well. Um, uh, Very sort of low-key guy. Um, So we we knew all that about him. Um, It's actually funny that uh, a lot of his personality seems opposite of what his football personality is, which you you think of a of an offensive coordinator coach um, who who's a you know run and gun go fast super aggressive type coach. You would think that would be more of a a, a brash in your face arrogant type. Um, you know, you, you think more of a Steve Spurrier type of personality, maybe even a Lane Kiffin personality. Um, that's, that, that's not Josh Hopple. Josh Hopple has more of the personality of an offensive line coach, you know, just sort of quiet and does his work and that sort of thing. But I think in the caravan, we saw more of his personality where he would, he's a funny guy. I think the more comfortable he is, the more he leans into that, um, and and to be likable and also take shots at people is a pretty good combination. And I think that uh, that resonated with the fan base. You know, there was there was a guy at the uh, stop at Kingsport uh, that said, you know, asked Josh Hopple if he saw Lane Kiffin, could he ask that he return his golf ball to him? Uh, you know, so he, this guy's claiming that he threw it, you know, sort of a wink, wink in, in the Ole Miss game. Well, Josh Hopple could have said, you know, I don't want to go into that or, or, you know, as if he would get roasted on Twitter or something if he had, you know, endorsed violence, you know, but he could have done that. Instead, he said, well, you know, if you're the guy that threw it, I would want to know why you didn't bring more sleeves of balls. (laughs) And, 
you know, that's a if you're likable, you can deliver that line and get a laugh, and everybody says uh, he's a, he's a good guy. He's just joking around. So there's no venom behind him, and I, I think that combination is going to serve him well. But and here's the big but: that's always the case if you're winning. If if you're losing, that'll be turned around, um, and people will want a guy with a more brash, uh, in-your-face personality. I, I think that's the case with all coaches. Whatever your personality is, if you're winning, it's a positive. If you're losing, it, somebody can find a way to, to turn around and be a negative. But there's a whole lot to like about his personality right now, and I think you've seen the fan base respond to that a lot at the caravan. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Ole Miss, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, on one of the recent episodes of the Volunteer State podcast, you uh, had a talking point I had never even considered, Adam, so uh, credit to you. I mean, I sit here and talk about this stuff all day, every day. I I never thought about it. Tennessee and Ole Miss, you know, that's a rivalry that, uh, you know, maybe we could see some more of and, and hopefully we will when uh, we get to this pod system in the SEC that, that looks to be coming. Can you kind of rehash on, on why you think uh, that that's just such a great rivalry right now for Tennessee? Well, I think it certainly could be um, if, if Lane Kiffin is there, obviously. Um, I, I, I think the whole thing with rivalries in the SEC is going to get turned on its head if we do go to the pod system. Um you know, I mean, with Ole Miss, that's a, that's a school that has, you know, a history, a tradition. Um, they have won at times sort of the level of Tennessee. Tennessee traditionally has, has more winning than Ole Miss. But, but they're in sort of a similar class if you look at, at, at uh, well, if you, if you look at the last 20 years, they're certainly in the same class. Um, but it, the, the pod system is going to change a whole lot of this because you're not going to have as many rivalries. Um you know, I mean, there's so much talk about, you know, whether or not Tennessee could ever catch up with Georgia. Well, if they did, Georgia may not be on the schedule anymore. They may be in different pods, so you're not even going to be playing them, and it's not going to matter who wins the East because there will be no East. Um, you know, Alabama, if you're in the pod system, is probably still on, on Tennessee's schedule, and then Auburn will rise back up to be on the on the yearly schedule. So I, I think a lot of this talk about who rivalries should be or will be is going to change a lot once Oklahoma and Texas get into the conference. Um, you know, I think I made the point on that same podcast that, um, you know, Florida, if you go to the pod system, Florida's probably not going to be on your schedule, uh, but, but, but once every few years. So the perceived rivalry between Tennessee and Florida probably going to be over in a couple of years. So if, if Tennessee's going to, going to have a better taste in its mouth from that from that rivalry you better beat billy napier here earlier in his tenure and you can sort of leave the rivalry in, in good standing and I, I think a lot of teams maybe need to look around the conference and see it that way because whatever they think their rival is now it, it's probably going to change in about three years mm-hmm. and, and last thing on old miss you know I, like i referenced earlier you, you've been in this conference you've been covering it for many a years have you ever seen a site quite like that? And I mean, not just, of course, the the ugly ending there, but I mean, leading up to that, I mean, I was I was in the stadium. That was just just an incredible uh, atmosphere there that uh, the Tennessee fans put on. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, you see trash thrown or things thrown uh, on the field uh, in in other sports and other games, and uh, you know. I've, 
I think there was a game the other night where it happened a little bit at a Yankees game. Uh, it's it's different when Tennessee does it, and I don't mean that as a as a as a compliment or a criticism. It's just different. <laughs> it's, it's looked at differently. Uh, the, they do it better or worse than everybody else, depending on your perspective. Um, you, you know, I mean, there was you knew something could go down. Obviously, not to that extent, but you knew something could go down just in the vibe uh, that night, right? So you went out to Vol Walk, it was packed. When Kiffin came out, there was, you know, sort of this venom in him already. You knew he would kind of stoke the flames, which he certainly did. And uh, and then and in the way that the game went, th- there were some calls, obviously, uh, against Tennessee. There, there, was a, there was a touchdown that should have been for Tennessee that was, that was taken off the board. Um, and then... And then fanning the flames with the fake injuries and cramps that Lane Kiffin did, it just it, it was it was always going to go off the cliff in some way. Probably not to that extent. I think a lot of people expected, but um, but it was always going to go off the cliff in one way. And you ca- you kind of wish that game would come back this year, right? I mean that's that's a cross divisional game, so it's not going to happen. But if you could have that game every year, it, it, it I, I would invite it, and I think a lot of Tennessee fans uh, fans would, but. Uh, my my wife was in uh, the stands over there where the uh, where the trash was thrown from mostly, um, and one of my daughters was actually in the student section as well. <laughs> and when I got home, uh, yeah, at the News Sentinel, we had a lot of photographers and videographers that they got a lot of footage of all that sort of stuff and who threw trash and you know, just just video of it coming out of the stands and all these sort of things, just covering the stuff as it happened. And and when I got home, I had to ask, am I, when I look through these photo galleries, am I going to see you guys throwing any trash? Because <laughs> if you did, you know, number one, I got to have an answer ready, or number two, I got to get into our system and start deleting <laughs> some photos. Uh, thankfully, nothing was ever found uh, of them throwing anything, and I don't, uh, they say they didn't. Uh, that 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 being said, when I when I asked my wife, I said, "Where would somebody get a mustard bottle? Because you have mustard dispensers, you don't have mustard bottles, at, you know, at the concession stand." And she quickly said, "Well, yeah, on the second deck in this so and so concession uh, stand over at this other at this place where I was getting my hot dog, they had all these French's uh, bottles lined up, and really, it's." It's funny that you knew exactly where that was. <laughs> so, but uh, I, 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 I don't think there was any wrongdoing on her part. All right, last thing for you, Adam. I really appreciate all your time here. But um, if Tennessee is going to utilize the transfer portal before uh, fall camp arrives, uh, which position groups do you think they will uh, most likely target? Um, offensive tackle, as I mentioned before. Um, possibly wide receiver. I think they feel a little better about that right now, but, but wide receiver, Brew McCoy from Southern Cal, they've been trying a, a while to get him. He's got some baggage that they're trying to look through to make sure they're okay to get him. Um, but he would be one in corner. Uh, they've, they've looked at a couple of options, um, but I, you know, th- I think they can survive without getting another wide receiver. Uh, I, I, I think I have enough confidence in Josh Hopple's offense that they can plug and play with what they have because um, they did that pretty well last year. Mitch and Cedric Tillman hadn't done a whole lot in his career, and he had the 1,000 yards last year. That system tends to produce guys 
that can produce, so to speak. Uh, I think the bigger two issues are offensive tackle, cornerback. As I mentioned, offensive tackle, they've got to plug that for uh, plug that hole for offensive line to be a, a strength rather than a p- potential weakness. And at corner, they've just got so many issues because uh, when they lost a corner at the end of last year, the same bowl, Alante Taylor, who's going to the NFL now, when they lost him, it showed. And uh, th- they're going to have some pretty big question marks in the secondary uh, going into this year. And they had like five corners that were all out with injuries in spring. So the big question going into spring was who's going to be the start- who's going to be the starting corner? And they didn't get it answered because all the guys that potentially could be that were out. So you're still carrying that looming question. They need an upgrade there anyway. Um, so if they could add a corner from the portal, uh, I, I think they would feel a whole lot better. They would just get, have another option. All right, he's Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Don't forget to give him a follow at Adam Sparks and check out the podcast, The Volunteer State Podcast. Thank you so much, Adam. This was outstanding stuff. I I really appreciate it. Yeah, good to be on anytime. All right, hey, as promised, terrific stuff from Adam. Don't forget to give him a follow at Adam Sparks on Twitter, and don't forget to check out all his work at the Knoxville News Sentinel. Really appreciate Adam spending some time talking some Tennessee football with us, and uh, we're going to have to have him back as we get closer to the season, no doubt. But hey, like I said, we got one more interview. Recurring guest here, Michael Katz, wrapping up Ole Miss spring football down there in Oxford. Let's kick it over to Michael Katz of the DJ Journal. Hey, we're pleased to be once again joined by my man, Michael Katz. Gotta give him a follow, at Michael L. Katz on the Twitter machine. And he covers the Ole Miss Rebels for the Mississippi Daily Journal. Michael, thank you so much for joining me once again. Hey, thanks for having me. It's draft day. This is like my favorite, other than probably like bowl, I I would say bowl week, but it's like bowl month. Other (laughs) than that, this is like my favorite event of the year. I, it's just, I, I will watch every single pick because one, I'm a degenerate. Um, but two, man, it's just so much fun to see, you know, guys that you've covered and following kind of, you know, get their dreams realized. Yeah, no doubt. And so we are recording this right before the draft. This is going to, hit uh, uh, go live on Friday so the first round will be done so we don't know if Matt Corral will be drafted in the first round as we're recording this but hopefully he is and let me pitch it to you this way Michael because I know you've you covered Matt you've written about him many times why will Matt Corral be a solid quarterback in the NFL I think he is really good for what the NFL is sort of trending toward right now. And I think if this had been, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I think his size would scare people off. But the fact that we've seen guys like Russell Wilson and, you know, I know Baker Mayfield, people have a lot of thoughts on him, but you know, he was the first pick and Drew Brees had a really successful career at, you know, generously probably around six foot. Um, but I just think with sort of the, the, the run pass options and, and the emphasis on, on quarterbacks who kind of do, I mean, the NFL is kind of trending toward like what the college schemes are doing now in terms of what they're running offensively. And I think Matt is just a really good match for that sort of offense. And I think a lot of teams are running that sort of scheme, the RPOs and uh, quick throws and uh, taking advantage of his athleticism. You know, I, I know that, 
you know, he, he can get himself in a little bit of trouble by, you know, maybe lowering his shoulder one too many times. And, you know, you, it's one of those things where you're not going to really take that out of him uh, because that's just kind of who he is. But uh, I think his, he's, he's got a, he's got a big arm and that's not going to be a problem. He's a smart kid. He's got the athleticism. I know there's some hesitation just in terms of you know, how that offense translates, but I think that the offense is a lot closer to what the NFL is running than it would have been like 10 years ago when there was like the quote unquote pro style offense. I don't really know if there is like a pro style offense anymore. I think there's just all these spread elements. And I think Matt does that really well. He's a gamer. He's a leader. I know teammates and coaches love him. Um, you know, I, I know there's no such thing as a, a surefire bet and, you know, who, who knows how it's going to end up and, and what, who he ends up with is obviously going to make a difference, but I think he's, he's got all the skills and I think he's got the intangibles that are going to give him a chance to be a good one. And there's several other prospects from Ole Miss that are going to be drafted here, either in the first round or the rounds to come. And, you know, there's guys like Sam Williams, who's just been dominant. I think Jerry on Ely, who's, you know, maybe a little inconsistent, but he just screams a guy that could really break out in the NFL. If, if you had to pick one more rebel, that you think not necessarily he may be the, the second guy drafted from the team, but the guy that you think may have the brightest future in the NFL, who would that be? I would probably say, and this is kind of cheating because like, I don't think this is going to catch anybody like by surprise, but Sam Williams, I think is, has a chance to be a really, really good player. And obviously he, he really broke out this year with, you know, becoming an all American and all ICC and all that stuff. Blew up the combine like I was told he would. He ran like a four four six or whatever it was at 260 pounds. It's just, just absolutely ridiculous. So I think he's going to be a guy, like if you are looking for a pass rusher, a big, strong guy who can contribute early, I think he's going to be able to get on the field uh, and, and do that. I, the, the other one, and this is kind of one that like some people have forgotten about, is, is Ben Brown, the, the guard um, who missed a lot of this year with injury. Um, you know, I've kind of seen him in like the fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, that third day range. But, you know, I, I think people really like kind of his, one, his versatility, but two, uh, his makeup, by all accounts, he's just a, a really good kid and was really kind of the leader of that offensive line until he got injured. And so I, I think I think those two are probably, you know, the sure, surest bets to get drafted for sure. But I think they're guys who are going to stick around. Uh, you know, Jerry Ely and Snoop Connor. I think those are wild cards because, you know, the NFL is just, you know, in, I, you know I, I hate to use like the term devalue the running back, but, you know, you don't see running backs go super high anymore. And, you know, just with his production, Jerry on probably wasn't going to be a, a second day pick. I think he's a guy who can go in the third round. Um, I, I think his, his athleticism and versatility is, is going to do him favors just in terms of being able to contribute as a receiver and on special teams. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's a, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think is in the right place. Could, could definitely make a difference too. So switching gears to the current team, of course, the big storyline coming out of the spring, Jackson Dart versus Luke Altmeyer, And this quarterback competition is likely going to go deep into the training camp. Where do you, where do things stand right now with, uh, the starting quarterback competition there in Oxford? Well, I, I don't think people were particularly thrilled with the spring game um, because Jackson, I believe, went like 11 out of 30, I think it was, which like, you know, that's that's not a completion percentage that's, that's going to make a lot of fans like really happy about bringing him in. But, uh, you know, he played a lot better in the second half. Luke was just really solid throughout the spring game. But, you know, I, I don't put a ton of stock in spring games just because, 
you know, I think we've seen at every school, like you can have a guy run for like 120 yards in the spring game and then no one ever hears from him in the regular season. And I think, you know, just because someone plays a certain way in the spring doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to, you know, what we see in August and September. So, um, you know, from, from what we've been told, you know, both guys had their ups and their downs. Kind of the book on both is that, that Luke Altmaier is probably the more consistent guy and maybe doesn't take as many chances down the field, but isn't going to make the big mistake. Um, that's kind of what we, you know, what we kind of figured was going to be the case, and you know, especially since he's been on campus longer than Jackson. Jackson's only been there for, you know, a couple months. I would expect him to know the playbook a little bit better. Uh, and Dart is, you know, he's got, he's a guy who really wants to take that huge dagger shot down the field, and sometimes it's going to come back and bite him. And in the spring game, he made a couple throws where you were like, that wasn't there. You know, he's got to be maybe a little bit less reckless, but the skill sets there. And sometimes he will make a throw that really makes you say, wow. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, I, I think it's going to be something that isn't decided, you know, officially until, you know, sometime probably right before the first game. I think there's a lot of factors, um, but, you know, I, I think it should be fun to monitor, but uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard to not imagine, you know, when you bring in a guy like Jackson Dart, not seeing him eventually being the guy, you know, I don't think you brought him in to like, be a bench warmer. Uh, but at the same time, I think Luke's going to get every opportunity. So it's going to be interesting. And, and I think who, whoever ends up winning the job is, is, is going to have an offense that is going to fit, uh, you know, what each guy does well. Now you say, don't put too much stock in the spring game. That's a smart thing to say, but I need something to overreact to here from what we saw over the weekend. And I'm going all in on this tight end, Michael Trigg. I continue to hear great things. I, I'm, basically convinced he's going to be a breakout star in the SEC. Tell me uh, whether I'm right or wrong there. I think you're absolutely right. He's a freak. Um, I remember like the first time we went out uh, to the practice field and we were like, we had heard like he was a really big guy. And like, we looked out there and we were like, Oh, this guy's like quite literally built different. Uh, He's just, he's bigger, stronger, faster than like everyone out there he just you know as like i don't remember who said it but it was like when you like you have like a a kid who's older than everybody else playing against the little kids like it looks like that and he was dominant in the spring game you know he obviously had a connection with jackson dart from their time at sc uh he was productive at sc until he got hurt um you know partway through the year uh, i think that if we kind of look historically at what lane kiffin's offenses have been past five, six years, wherever he's been, the tight end has played a really big part. You know, O.J. Howard, uh, Harrison Bryant, uh, Kenny Yaboa a couple years ago. Um, you know, last year it wasn't really as much of a factor, I think, main, mainly because, you know, maybe they didn't have a guy quite of the same caliber as those guys. But uh, if you look at just in terms of uh, an explosive guy, I, I, I think Michael Trigg has a chance to be a superstar for sure. Then moving on from Trigg, let's – you know, let's not put him in the equation. Who do you think is Ole Miss leading receiver next season? Ooh, that's a good one. I am going to say Jordan Watkins, the Louisville transfer. Uh, I know that probably like the popular guess would be Jonathan Mingo, and it could very well be Jonathan Mingo. Um, he's he's the veteran. He's the guy with the most experience, but he has had some inconsistency in his career. Um, and, you know, we didn't see much of him this spring, but – um, you know, Watkins is the Louisville transfer. Uh, he did a lot of really nice things for Louisville last year. You know, when we talked to Lane Kiffin about him, he said he was kind of surprised his numbers weren't better just kind of based on 
what he can do. And just in the time that we were able to see, you know, practices, it looked like both quarterbacks are really comfortable with him as kind of that safety blanket. Um, and I think he's a guy who, who's going to get a lot of targets. You know, I, I don't know if he's going to be the super dynamic guy. We haven't really seen enough of him, but I think he's a guy who's, who's who, whoever the quarterback is, is going to be really comfortable with. So I, I think, I think Watkins is a guy to, to really keep an eye on. Now everyone's psyched up for Zach Evans, you know, former five-star. He, he did well at TCU. He looks like he may be slotted in right away as a starter for Ole Miss, but that guy that really caught my eye, eye uh, particularly in the spring game, I didn't know anything about him. You see at least B- uh, Bentley. I mean, he looks like he's tailor-made to play for Lane Kiffin and, and can do so many things on the field. So uh, of those two players, who do you think has more yards from scrimmage next season for Ole Miss? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Evans is going to kind of be, I don't know if workhorse is the right term, but I, I think he's going to be the guy who, uh, probably gets the most carries uh, just because he's kind of more of your, you know, your downhill, you know, runner who you could probably give the ball to 25 times if you needed to. Uh, he's he's a stud. You know, there's a reason he was as highly sought after as he was, not only coming out of high school, but you know, coming out of the portal. But man, Bentley just adds an element of kind of like what Jerry Neely could do in terms of being a slasher and a guy who can get in the open field and just kind of disappear down the sideline. Um, and, and you kind of add in his, his pass catching ability. Uh, I, I think, I think those two are going to be a, a really, you know, it, it's hard to say that like when you lost, you know, 2000, whatever yards of rushing between Ely and Snick Connor and Henry Parrish who transferred to Miami that, you know, they're not going to lose anything in the running back room. But when you see Evans and Bentley and how they sort of complement each other, uh, I, I think it's got a chance to be really exciting. Now, the defense, I think a lot of people just assume they're going to take a step back because they lost D.J. Durkin. But you got to look at it, man. They they added Jared Ivey, J.J. Pegues, Kerry Coleman, Troy Brown, Ashim Young. I mean, what are the chances Ole Miss defense, which, you know, they had a hell of a turnaround last year. What are the chances they may even be better this year? Yeah, you know, it's it's – I don't know if, like, there's going to be, like, that All-American kind of guy like Sam was, but – I think, and this is one of the things that William has kind of talked about this spring, especially like on the, the front, uh, the defensive front. This is the deepest they've been, and they've just added a lot of bodies. So, you know, if a guy needs a breather, there's not a huge, you know, gap between talent and skill level. And Yad Ivy, Pegues, um, you know, uh, Cedric Johnson, you know, had six and a half sacks or whatever it was last year. Um, they have some, and you know, Tavis Robinson's a guy who's been there a while and can do some things. They, they, they've got a lot of talent on that front. That's, I think, one of their strengths. I think the defensive backs are a strength, too, because they've returned a ton of guys. And like you said, they brought in Aishim, uh from Iowa State, who's, 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 you know, he's been a playmaker uh, in, in his Cyclones career. I think he's going to step in and, and do some nice things right away. The, the only question really is sort of that linebacker spot because they lost pretty much every meaningful linebacker they had last year with uh, Chance Campbell and, and, and Mark Robinson and, and Lakia Henry. But like you said, they added in Troy Brown and, and – uh, um, uh, you know, Kari from, uh, from Kari Coleman from, from, uh, TCU. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it, those guys have a chance to step in and, and do some really good things. We just haven't really seen it. We didn't really see a, a ton of them because, um, you know, they, uh, there were a lot of injuries this spring. And so it kind of made the evaluation a, a little tough, but, 
Uh, if you look at the talent, I mean, you know, Troy Brown was a three-time, you know, all-Mac guy, and I know the Mac's different than the SEC, but it's pretty clear the guy can play. And, you know, Coleman did some really nice things at TCU. So uh, I, I think this has a chance. You know, I don't know, if, like I said, if you're going to get that sort of, you know, first-team All-American or second-team All-American candidate. And maybe you do, you know, who knows. But uh, I think, like, depth-wise and just in terms of the number of guys that they have, I think this is probably as deep as, as this team has been, uh, particularly defensively. Yeah, and Ole Miss has never won 10 games in the regular season until they did it last season. Now I'm sitting here looking at the schedule, Michael. I mean, the toughest non-conference game, That I mean, it might be at Georgia Tech, either that or Tulsa at home. So you got to feel great about Ole Miss going undefeated in the non-conference. The, the, the SEC schedule, the Kentucky at home, that's the first – league game at Vanderbilt's the second Albert at home. I mean, is it crazy to think that Ole Miss could win back to back 10 win regular seasons provided that, uh, you know, they hit on a quarterback here. Yeah. I mean, the, the way the schedule lines up, there's no reason they shouldn't be, you know, like six and one or something like that. I mean, this should be a team that's flirting with the top 10, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in partway through October. Now, the end of the schedule does get a little, you know, dangerous with, uh, you know, LSU at, at LSU at A&M against Alabama at Arkansas, Mississippi state. I mean, those are, you know, th- those on paper look like really, really tough games just because, you know, those teams were really good last year and they are with, you know, Alabama's Alabama. It's, uh, you know, it's never going to be an easy one, but um, you know, I think with how strong they can start, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're going to, this is going to be like a, you know, a two loss team or anything like that. But I, I think that like, there's a chance that this is like, and I think a, a nine win team is very possible out of this. Cause I think they can win some of those late games. And I think if this team went like nine and three, that would be a top 10, 15 team with just how loaded that schedule was toward the end. And I think they'd be pretty happy with that. I think 10 might be you know, a 10 win regular season would be tough just because, you know, at LSU is, is going to be hard just because it always is at A&M. A&M, you know, there's always a lot around them at Arkansas with how resurgent that program has been. Uh, I think it might be tough to win, you know, all of those games and, and versus Alabama, of course. But uh, I, I think there's a really good chance this is like a 9-3-ish and three-ish team. And, and, you know, maybe if things break right, a 10-2 and two team. But I, I think, uh, you know, this is – what Ole Miss did last season was, was pretty special. And just, you know, again, it's, it's crazy that they've never had a 10 win regular season ever, even with Eli and, and Archie and, you know, all of these, all of these, you know, really good you know players they've had, this is, you know, a first. And so to expect that, I don't know, but I know the schedule lines up pretty well early. And I think that's going to give them a chance to, you know, probably get around that nine win, uh, nine win range. And I think if that was the case, they, they'd have to feel pretty good about that. All right, last thing for you, Michael. Really appreciate all your time. So much Southern Cal, USC connections to Oxford. Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg, the Wyoming Sports Writer of the Year, Michael Katz. I mean, are we destined to have Ole Miss play the University of Southern Cal in the Las Vegas Bowl? I mean, that's got to happen this year, don't you think? I mean, if, 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 if anything is like lining up to go that way, that would be absolutely amazing. Just because like I had a moment the other day during the spring game where, where Jackson Dart was throwing passes to Michael Trigg. And like, I thought to myself, like, 
there's a multiverse where like this is happening at USC still. Like it just it really made me think about like the infinite universe like idea because like it's just so crazy that like this is all like come together. Um, it, I mean, the funniest possible thing would be Matt Corral getting drafted by the Seahawks because of Pete Carroll. I mean, that that would just be the icing on the cake in terms of my mind just being absolutely blown. Uh, no, I mean, it's funny though. Ole Miss and that USC do play in a couple years, uh, so that you know that that'll be fun. But man, uh, yeah, I can think of a lot of place, a lot of worse places to be than Las Vegas uh, for a bowl game. Yeah, I may have made that up, but I swear at at one point, SEC Pac-12. I, I think they're playing in Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Las Vegas Bowl, unless I could be totally wrong about that. But hey, I've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate you, Michael Katz. Give him a follow at Michael L Katz. It covers Ole Miss for the Mississippi Daily Journal. Thank you so much, my friend, for joining me once again. I, I really appreciate our chats. Of course, man. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Michael, for joining the line. Terrific stuff as always. I hope you guys really appreciated that. Ole Miss, one of the biggest wild cards in the SEC. I have, as you can tell from that interview there, I mean, hell, Ole Miss, I think I got them eight, nine in my power rankings right now. I think number eight, but hell, I'm talking myself into another 10-win Ole Miss season. I mean, that's just how much talent they got down there to work with. Lane Kiffin and company cannot be discounted at this point in time, so cannot wait to see what the Rebels have for us on the field this fall should be one hell of a season once again there in Oxford but hey it's a late one I'm gonna cut it off here (laughs) hopefully we're gonna have some uh, weekend coverage we might do a wrap-up of rounds two and three on Saturday and then uh, Monday maybe a complete picture of what happened in the NFL draft so stay tuned we didn't get you a pod on Thursday we may be getting you an extra bonus one on Saturday We'll have to see what happens there in the NFL draft. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. As always, we'll catch you on the next one.